Have a seat. Welcome to the Recovery House of Worship. If you are here at the Recovery House of Worship, you are welcome here. If you went and slept in the park bench next door or in the penthouse suite across the street, you are welcome here. This is a church that welcomes people at all different stages and areas and economic levels of life. And we just want you to know that we are super glad uh, that you are here. So grateful to have you. When, when I first got married, there were so many things that I did not know, like really did not know. Like, I'm, I'm going to give you the most obvious one. And for some of you guys, especially the men here, some of you are going to, you're going to go, what? what? That's a problem? And for some of you women, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, this guy's a knucklehead. And so, and so I was like, you know, early on in life, if my wife told me, hey, I, I just don't feel loved by you. I thought she was talking about sex. And I was like, oh, she wants that more frequently. Or she wants that. That's what that is. I totally missed the boat on that. And all the men are like, uh, yeah. And all the women are like, are you kidding me? You didn't know that? Yeah, I know. Right. Because what happened was, is that I didn't understand that what she meant was what she meant. I thought what she meant was what I meant. And in relationships, you will find yourself falling in moments where you think what you mean is what's true, but you don't understand is not what you mean that's true, it's what they mean that's true. Now, we all know this in the silly example that I just gave. We all know this in marriage. We kind of know this in our friendships. We, you know, we, we get this. The place where we miss the boat on this principle is with God. You see, with God, we think that we, God says, hey, I want you to draw near to me. And we go, I know what you mean, sex. Like we miss the boat. We go, I know what you mean, I'll come to church service. I know what you mean, I'll stop cursing. I know what you mean, I'll change this about my life or that about my life. But the fact is, is that God in his word tells us what he means by wanting a deeper, closer relationship with us. Now, you're going to want to listen to what we're talking about today. Because the most, relation, most important relationship that you will have in your life is the relationship with God. There's nothing that will influence your decisions. Nothing. That, listen, if you live, if you live your life, if you live your life like you're the final authority in your life, that will produce a result in your life. That will produce an outcome. If you live like God is the authority in your life, that will produce another outcome. So when God says, I want a deeper, closer relationship with you, He's not saying that because he wants whatever you think to happen. He wants what he thinks to happen. Does this make sense so far? Okay, now this is so important because watch this. If you're the boss of your life, if you're the authority in your life, you know what's going to happen. We've been talking about what happens after we sin for the last bunch of weeks, 
And today I'm kind of wrapping up the series. And we've talked about how God responds to us after we sin. We talked about that with Micah chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, and Psalm 51. We talked about how we're to respond to God after we sin, not to run away, but to draw nearer, right? Our initial response uh, when we sin or when we mess up or when we blow it is to run away from God, but rather it's to draw near to God. That's the goal. And we've even talked last week on how to respond to a friend after they've sinned so that we can be a kind of community that loves each other and recognizes that we're all messed up. We're all broken. And here's what I know. Listen to me. Listen to me. Here's what I know about you. If I know nothing else, I know you're messed up and you're broken. That's what I know about you. I've never met anybody who's like perfectly whole and got it all together. The only reason that you might think that I have it all together is proximity. You're not close enough to me. But if you get to know me or if you ask my wife, she would tell you that I'm messed up and broken and that I desperately need Jesus. You too. Now watch this. Every one of our relationships need this principle of knowing what the other thinks. And none more than God. And so God is going to tell us exactly what he means by drawing nearer to him. And he's going to tell us in a really interesting way. But I need you to put on the big ear. I want you to listen closely because it's going to affect every other relationship in your life. Today we're moving to the last chapter in the book of Isaiah. The last chapter in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. And we're going to primarily focus on verses 1 and 2. Let's get right to it. Um, would you please stand with me as we read God's word? One of the reasons that we stand when we read God's word, there's going to be a bunch of our phones going off. If you could go ahead and put your phone on mute and just go ahead and put it in your pocket, that'd be great because what we want to do is we want to focus on God's word and we don't want to be distracted, okay? So go ahead and feel free to do that. Now, um, the reason that we stand when we read God's word is because we want to be reminded that the authority doesn't lie with us. The authority lies with God's word. And so we want to lean on, trust in, look to, meditate on, obey, surrender and submit to God's word. Okay? And if you're here, by the way, and you're like, whoa, I don't know if that's for me. If you're here and you're not sure about this Christian thing, you're just kind of kicking the Christian tires, you're not sure if you want to be a Christian, cool. I am so grateful you're here because you're going to hear exactly what God is looking for in relationship to us. All right? So we're just going to read the first two verses. It is a mouthful. Let's look at it. Let's read it together, okay? On the count of three, you can read it with me, Isaiah 66, uh, one and two. Now, if you're going to read it out loud, go ahead and go with the version, the NIV, which is what we have here. And so let's read it together on a count of three. One, two, three. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? 
And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please have a seat. So at the end of the book of Isaiah, God has been speaking to the people of Israel and he's been telling them, you've gone far away. There, you've gone so far away that there are consequences that are coming that you won't believe. They're gruesome, terrible consequences as a direct result of your actions. Anybody here ever had to face a gruesome consequence of their own actions? If you raise your hand, right? Is anybody here like taking medication for the rest of your life because of some one night stand or thing that you did or whatever, right? Like there's a, yeah, nobody wants to raise their hand on that one, but yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, man. Yeah. And so, right, there are some gruesome consequences. Some of us had to spend, listen to me, some of us had to spend a night in jail for a gruesome consequence or more for a gruesome consequence. There are consequences to our actions. There's no surprise about that. There's no shock in knowing that. Agreed? Okay. God is warning them, warning them, warning them. But in God's warnings, in God's warning them of the consequences of their action, God also does this other thing that's really powerful as he expresses his love. I don't know. My father didn't do that so well. My father always gave me like real gruesome consequences, but he never expressed love really well. Um, but that's a, that's a quality of God that he just expressed. He goes, hey, hey, I'm not fleeing. I'm not leaving. I'm not abandoning. I'm not forsaking. I'm not turning my back on you. But I'm letting you know, I'm letting you know, this is the consequence of the kind of behavior you're, de you're demonstrating or displaying. And so it's very, very powerful. So God says, after he says that, he goes, he sums it all up in these first two, in these first two verses of chapter 66. He sums up what he's been trying to say in the entire book of Isaiah. And it's this. This is what the Lord says, right? So everybody put the big ear on. God's going to say something, right? I mean, if the president of the United States says something, he has what's called a press conference. Everybody wants to listen to whatever the president of the United States would have to say. God says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? So just so you know where we're going, I want, you to, I want to give you our outline for today. I want you to see where we're going. Today we're going to see the bigness of God, the focus of God's gaze, and the test we all fail. The bigness of God, the focus of God's gaze, and the test we all fail. So God focuses us on this first verse. He says, I want you to see something. Now, remember, this is Israel. This is thousands of years ago. They can remember when Solomon built his temple. The temple that Solomon built was like a wonder of the uh, ancient world. It was massive, to say the least. 
with the courtyard and the temple itself and the holy place and the most holy place, this thing was a marvel to look at and massive to behold. And they might have thought, they got, maybe might have gotten into the idea that if the temple is not here, then maybe God is not here. There's a sense that I see this all the time. You know, like when people come to me and they say, hey, pastor, will you pray for me? Which, by the way, I count as a great privilege and honor. I, please don't ever stop asking. I want to pray for you. But when we think that my prayers are somehow more powerful than your prayers, that when we think that my speaking to Jesus in some way influences him more deeply then you've missed who God is. God is great and big and mighty. He goes on to say, who will, listen, heaven is my throne. God is big, listen, God is bigger than you think and he's bigger than you can think. And so we like to put God in a box. For instance, let me give you one really paramount way we put God in a box. We go, God, I want you to work your miracle-working power. The doctor said that I have cancer, and I want you to work your miracle-working power. And we think that the only way that that gets expressed, remember what I talked about, what he means and what we mean? We think that the only way that that could be expressed is in the healing of the cancer, and we don't know that God is working a greater miracle to draw not only our hearts to himself, but other hearts to himself by our cancer. That it'll be because of our death that God will get glory. Because of it. Not in avoidance of it. Because of it. See, this is, the, this is a God who doesn't fit in our box. We go, no, 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 God. Come back to the temple. Fit in the temple. No, 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 no. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. You ever had a footstool? You know what a footstool Footstool is where you place your feet. It's like a tiny thing. You don't even consider it. God is really big. And he can't. And if he, and if he doesn't work out in the way that we think he should work it out, then perhaps we need, to conf- we need to confess the smallness of our God. There was a book that came out many years ago. It said, and the title of the book, I never read it, but the title is so great. Who needs to read the book when the title is so good? It said, uh, it said, your God is too small. There was another book that came out, another fantastic book that I never read, but the title was so great. It was like, um, when, when problems are big and God is small. You see, listen to me. Listen to me. Your God is too small. Your God is too small. And perhaps we need to be reminded of the bigness of God. God, you can do whatever, whenever, to whomever you will. Your God, our God, is too small. God can only work in this way. No, 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 no. let me tell you something. God can do miracles. People who, uh, you know, who get sick and say, I'm not going to go to the hospital. Well, why aren't you going to go to the hospital? Because I'm going to wait for God to heal me. I was like, is your God not big enough to heal through a surgeon? Is your God not big enough to work through even an atheist? I think he is. I think, I, listen to me. The Bible says 
that the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. That means authorities, powers, influence, they all submit in the end to what God desires. Our God is too small. Heaven is my throne. Earth is where I place my feet. Where is the house that you will build for me? God says, no, 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 no. Don't put me in a box. I'm bigger than all that. So the first thing we find out is the bigness of God. The second thing is the focus of God's gaze. Watch this. In verse 2, he says this. Uh, In the second part of verse 2, he says, These are the ones I look on with favor. The ones that God is talking about is people. God's focus is people. God cares about people. God loves people. God is pursuing people. It's people who get God's gaze, get, get his focus. You know what a gaze is, right? A gaze is a focused stare. Gaze is what you're not supposed to do on a train station. Gaze is what you're not supposed to do when you're walking down dark alleys at night. You don't look, you don't focusly stare at anyone. You don't look anyone in the eye. You keep it moving. That's a gaze. A gaze is a focused stare. God says, I have people. People are where my gaze is. But it's not just people. It's a quality of people. Here they are. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Let's look at this really quickly. These are the ones I look on with favor. And by the way, can we just say, I want God's favor in my life. Like I I just, I, I want the favor of the Lord to guide my intentions, to lead my marriage, to To convict me, when we say convicted, I know um, if you're new to Christianity, when we say convict, what we mean is to like help me feel the pangs of the wrong that I do. That's what I want. That's what I long for. That's what I desire in my life. These are the ones on whom his favor rests, those who are humble. Humility, according to Webster's, is a modest or low view of one's importance Humbleness. This is not at all what God means. (laughs) Webster got this one way wrong. When God talks about humility, it's not a pretty girl thinking that she's ugly. It's not a smart man thinking that he's stupid. It's a person that recognizes the gifts that they've been given, the opportunities that they've been given, The abilities that they've been given are just that, given. And I know, I know, you want to say, no, 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 but I worked so hard. I can imagine that Wanda and Robert, they're going to go to Puerto Rico. They're going to lay down their lives, and God is going to do a great work. And maybe 30 people will be saved through the incredible work that they do. And they'll go, this is what my hands have done, to which they will have missed the entire point. It is a thing of beauty when we recognize that humility is understanding 
believing, knowing that any gift we've been given, any gift we've been given has been given to us by God. Can we be a church who's patient? Is it okay? Phones are going to go off. It's okay. I'm not mad. Don't you be either. Let's be a church who's patient. Let's be a church who's loving. We don't know where people are coming from. Let's be a church who's welcoming and kind. Let's be that church. Yes? Okay. When we talk about humility, when we talk about humility, we talk about a recognition that it is our king and our God who gives, who serves, who loves, who enables in every way. C.S. Lewis said it better than Webster did. He said, humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's, uh, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Isn't that good? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not a pretty person telling themselves that they're ugly. It's not a smart person telling themselves that they're stupid. Uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Beloveds, this is the kind of person that God pours favor on. Because when we recognize that everything comes from him, when we recognize that he's the one who enables, that we recognize that whether, whether we play the piano or, or, or speak really well or, or, or are incredibly organized or, or have a wonderful gift of prayer, no matter what it is, it's like this isn't mine. This is a stewardship. It's a gift that's given me. And it's like, Oh, man. So you know what happens to that person? That person receives from God and then worships God. You know what happens to the arrogant? They receive from God and they worship themselves. It's impossible to go to God after that. It's the humble. This is the, remember, this is the focus of God's gaze. The humble and contrite in spirit. Webster did a little bit better with this definition. Contrite means feeling or expressing remorse or penitence affected by guilt. Now, here's the thing. Many of us have grown up, I won't ask you for a raise of hand, but a lot of us have grown up and we thought that, the, that shame and guilt is the enemy. So the goal is to, is to flee shame and guilt. And I just want, I want you to know, listen to me. Some of us are pretty narcissistic about our shame and guilt, and then we need to be talked about and counseled about what, how shame and guilt is a gift from God and how it leads us to him. But when, some of us, when we think of shame and guilt, we go, oh my gosh, I don't want, I don't want to feel that. And, and sometimes it's a gift from God. A contrite spirit is a spirit that's broken over what God's heart is broken about. My problem is, I'm broken, I'm upset, I'm, I feel bad about things that affect me. And God says, no, 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 I want you to feel bad about things that affect, here's the thing, right? So, when I sin, I try to remove anything that makes me feel guilty. Does that make sense? I, I'll give it to you in a story. I remember I heard this guy, and it, I was in a... I'm still in, but I was in a 12-step meeting. And um, this guy came in, and he had been cheating on his wife. 
And it was a habitual thing. He was speaking over 20 years ago. I, this is over, this is maybe 30 years ago I heard this story. That's how long ago. And it just affected me so much. The guy comes home. He comes home at 7 in the morning. His wife, you can imagine, is completely distraught because she knows, based on his past, what he had been doing till 7 o'clock in the morning. So her, her head is in her hands, and she's weeping at the dinner table or the kitchen table. And he walks in, and he says this. I'll never forget this for the rest of my life. He said, I can't take that hurt look on your face. I'm leaving. I can't take that hurt look on your face. I'm leaving. The reason that it struck me was the pause. I filled in the pause after he said, I can't take that hurt look on your face. When he said, I can't, and I'm telling you, I was, when, I, when I heard him, I was about 18 years old. I'm going to be 48 in a couple of weeks. It was like 30 years ago. He goes, I can't take that hurt look on your face. Pause. What should the next line have been? I've sinned against you. I've broken covenant. I can't believe the harm and the pain that I'm causing you. What I'm doing is wicked. I must stop. Mm -mm. I can't take that hurt look on your face. So I'm going to remove myself from anything that makes me feel guilt or shame. Beloved, can I tell you that that is most of our dealings with God? That when you and I sin, rather than looking at God's word and going, oh my gosh, you kidding? I did that to you? I, I hurt you in that way? Oh, is me. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I did. No, no, no. I can't take that hurt look on your face. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop pursuing you. I'm going to stop coming to church. No, 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 no. Not a spirit that runs from God. A spirit that's broken before God. Humble, contrite. That's the spirit that God's gaze is focused on. Well, let's keep on going. He says, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. That is to say, those who are sensitive to what God says. In other words, when God is speaking from his word, we just read, you have access to the same word that I got. It's not like I'm preaching this and y'all don't have 50 Bibles in your phones. You have access to the same stuff that I have. And so when you're reading God's word, is it something good that's for everybody else? Or is it something that you need to apply to your own life? When you're reading God's word, is it something that others need to be concerned about? Or is it something that I need to heed? God has been sort of stirring my heart. Stirring my heart about his word. That as I read, I just... I want to pray before I read his word. I said, God, show me great things in your word. And sometimes God says some what I think is rude things to me. He tells me about the condition of my heart. He lets me know 
that I'm not as wonderful as I'd like to think I am. And he lets me know that he loves me more than I can ever imagine. Certain things I just can't feel like I can accept, and yet God reminds me through his word. Beloved, those are the people that God, God's gaze is on. So we looked at the bigness of God. God is bigger than your box. We looked at the focus of God's gaze. God looks to the humble, the contrite, and tremble, the con- humble and contrite in spirit, and those who tremble at his word. And then finally, I want you to see this. Listen. The bigness of God, the focus of God's gaze, and the test, we all fail. I hope, as I've been reading this to you, I hope that there's been a sort of a despair that's come over you. Because here's what I know. This person ain't you. It's not. Humble, contrite, trembling, it ain't you. That ain't me. You kidding me? Me and God disagree? You know who's right in that? Me. I know way better than God. God needs to take some of my suggestions. God needs to listen to me. Contrite. Contrite. Far from being contrite. I'm arrogant. I think God actually owes me something because I serve him among the poor and the needy. Man, it's the test we all fail. So we ask the question then, if God's gaze is on those who's humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at God's word, what hope is there for us? Because we fail that test. Beloved, there's no hope. No hope for you and I outside of Jesus. You see, it's the test we all fail because we're self-centered and arrogant, but what if, what if, what if, what if someone else took the test for you? What if someone else took the test for you? This is what I'm about to share with you is the good news of Jesus Christ. That the good news is this, that there's a test that God gives and that test you fail every time. That when it comes to your desires and the desires of others, you flow with your desires. That when it comes to your um, comfort and your satisfaction, you go with your comfort and satisfaction, not others. When it comes to service, you only serve in so far as you are, don't feel stretched too much. When it comes to obedience and trembling at God's word, oh, these things, that's easy to obey. But these other things, no, I'd rather not. Beloved, the test that we all fail is the test that God puts before us to be righteous because none is righteous. No, not one. But if there was, in fact, someone who took the test for us, someone who gets an A every time, If that is our Christ and that Christ gives us his spirit and now when God looks at us, he looks at us as he looks at Christ. Isn't that good news? I'm telling you, that's 
wonderful. Um, last year, uh, my daughter, uh, she was coming home from uh, school. And as she was coming home from school, we uh, got there and she said, hey, would you mind taking my friend to her home? I was like, absolutely. Now, can I confess to you that if this girl would have come to me, and, to, and let me just tell you what we did. What we did was we, we put her 700 pounds worth of stuff. I didn't think you could fit that much in a dorm room. We put an unbelievable amount of weight in our car. It was a, one of the, uh, our, we have a minivan, so we folded the chairs and, you know, some of the girls, uh, either Lydia or Grace, sat on the floor so that we could have room. And Then we traveled outside of where we were supposed to go. I'm going to Brooklyn. This girl lives in the Bronx, right? The God-forsaken Bronx. All right. You know I love the Bronx. You know I do. Te quiero. Te quiero mucho. I love the Bronx. So we went to the boogie down. And so we, it was every bit of, anybody, if you got a picture of the Bronx in your mind, like from 1986, you have a great idea of what I walked into, right? And so we did this turn and that turn. It was way out of the way. We finally got there. Oh, by the way, before that, I was taking my family to eat, and I also bought her, you know, whatever she wanted and her meal and all that other stuff. Get whatever you want. Make sure that you load up. I want you to, you know. And then we did that, and then I brought her to her house, and then, because it's the Bronx, and the Bronx doesn't believe in elevators, <laughs> and everybody in the Bronx lives on the fifth floor of a five-floor walk-up, that 700 pounds had to be carried Every bit. And you know I'm surrounded by girls, right? And so like, I can't just go, I can't just go, because they take your man card. They take your man card if you just, I just can't, come on guys, y'all do this. I was like, all right, I guess I should probably pick something up more than these pants. And so, I, it was a, tr it was two, Lydia, was that like two trunks that the, it was like, can you, do you, you know like the, all right, have you ever seen a movie where it's like a treasure chest, where it's like a lock in the middle and then you open it up? If you think that, you have a very good idea of how big these trunks were. Massive trunks, and it had like lead inside of it. I don't know what she packed, but it was lead. And so I picked up the trunk, and I was like, okay, no, I'll, she goes, no, I'll take the bottom. I was like, no, 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 I'll take the bottom. I don't want you to work that hard. I'll take the bottom, you. And so I grabbed the bottom, and my nearly 50-year-old heart was going to collapse on my, it's like, and then we made it to the 35th floor because that's what it felt like, right? Because the Bronx can't just have one staircase that makes it to a floor. It's like this, and then you got to turn, and then it's like this, and then you got to go like this, and then you got to go. It was terrible. So we did all that, and then we finally made it to the fifth floor. Oh, good news. First, first round. Let's do this 15 more times. And so we went downstairs and we picked up every bit of that 700 pounds and we brought it upstairs and she was like, I can't believe how kind you're being towards me. Thank you so much. And I told her, honestly, it was my pleasure. <laughs> but the reason that I could say it was my pleasure is because I wasn't serving her 
I was serving my daughter. You see, she had, no I can't even remember her name. But she came not in her own, in fact, she didn't come to me. It was my daughter who came to her father and said, and I'm going to have to invent the name because I can't even remember it. Ba, Evelyn needs help. And we need to get her to our house and nobody's going to come pick her up. And it's too far for her to make it and she has too much stuff. She'll never make it on her own. Would you? And I looked into my daughter's eyes and said, would I? Be glad to. Such is my love for you. You see, you and I look at the test and we cringe inside because we don't know yet that there was a son who went to his father and said, you know, Edwin, he's not going to be able to make it home. And the stuff, the baggage that he's carrying is way more than 700 pounds. And the distance that he has to make is way more than five floors. But I did everything for him. You see, we can rejoice at the test that we fail because there was one who took the test for us. And when the Father looks at me and you, he looks to us with stars in his eyes, knowing that we are perfectly and wonderfully made because we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we get the most amazing treatment. Now, if you are not in Christ, you need to be. Please, please be. I beg you, I beg you, come to Christ. You'll never make it. The whole point of Christianity is not that good people make it to God. The whole point of Christianity is simply this, that there's one who stands in your... There's one that stands for your benefit at the sacrifice of great amounts of blood and all of his life. He stands and says... If you stand in me, you will get the favor and the love of God that you absolutely do not deserve. Now, beloved, don't turn away from that. Don't shy away from that. Recognize that there was one who took the test for you. So, how, how do we walk well, we walk recognizing the bigness of God. God is bigger than you think. He's bigger than you can think. We recognize that God's eyes are on his people. And we recognize it. he's on his people not because of what they've done, but because of what Jesus has done. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you, submit, surrender your life to the one who surrendered his life for you. Now, those of us who are here, we've been surrendered to Christ, but we've been living like we're the ones who have to take the test. I just want to pray for you. 
you look at a text like this and you go, there's no hope for me. Or, God forbid, you look at this text and you go, by golly, I'll do it. And then fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. Or, God forbid, get arrogant because you put the bar so low that you start getting proud within yourself. Beloved, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. But before I do,